Welcome to Cloud and Clear. I'm so excited about my very special guest today. I say this a lot, but this person is truly a friend. Uh, please welcome to the podcast the incomparable Chris Shembra, founder, 747, author of Gratitude and Pasta, arguably one of the most influential people in my life who I've never met in person. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that too. But welcome. That's Chris. like saying Phil Mickelson's the greatest golfer to never win a master or never win a major. It's like uh, such and such football coach was the greatest coach to never no, win a it, it Super wasn't Bowl. Even a, it wasn't even a qualifier. I'm saying that how can he be even though I've never met him in person? Like that's <laughs> the remarkable part about how I feel about you. But that's the power of, of virtual. I mean, that's the power of digital. I mean, look how look how much our relationship has blossomed even through the pandemic using Google Meets. It's been amazing. Unbelievable. Strange uh, irony of the times we live in. And I want to dive deep into that because whether you know it or not, you're also like kind of like a therapist to me. So <laughs> I always find comfort in your perspective of the world and uh we're going to bring that to the forefront today but look not everybody knows you as well as i know you yeah you go by so many you're, you're known for so many things the the gratitude guru from usa today you got some other thing from rolling stone about how you're the on a cultural council like your influence especially last couple of years as far as i've tracked you is been so remarkable, but please tell the audience your own story so that everybody can have the same foundational appreciation that uh, that I do. Absolutely, Tony. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's you know it's such a neat. Every touch point with you is so groovy because it it all has meaning, right? There's never any fluff, right? It's um, all that it serves a healing and connection purpose. Actually, there's a, there's a Japanese word for everything we do called Kaizen, growth and healing through community. And, and I guess we'll get there later. You know, for all the listeners, for all the viewers, I'm just, I'm just a guy, a former lonely guy who used to hate myself, great insecurity. You know, I grew up as, I was always the last one called to the party. My invite was always somehow lost in the mail. And I somehow ended up building a pretty neat career in New York City in show business, traveling around the world, producing Broadway plays. And yeah, life looked pretty good on paper. You know, I was achieving uh, the accolades of our peers. I had a pretty good team. I had, you know, nice friends and family. But as you all know on this podcast so well, just because something looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. And I was lucky enough to realize that in July of 2015. Um, I had just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there. And when I got back to New York City, I realized this is not it. And in that darkness, I realized I felt four things. Lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure. And the last time I had felt those four things at once, Led me down a deep, dark path in my early 20s of suicide, depression, jail, rehab. And I didn't want to go back. So I thought back, what was it about Italy that changed my life, that changed my perspective on everything, on art, on culture, on connection? Well, it was the food. 
specifically pasta sauce. So we got back home to New York City, started playing around with food in my kitchen and accidentally created a pasta sauce recipe and figured we should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. We started gathering people. And we realized that community was this great healer. And a ritual began. We've been blessed to use the dinner table to spark over 500,000 relationships wow. in the last five years. And I, I found something I would do for the rest of my life. So I'm still that insecure guy. I'm still the guy that lays awake in the middle of the night wondering, am I doing the right thing? But you know what? That's what makes me real. It's what makes us unique and honest. And I never want to wish that part away. So it's an honor to be here through all the trials and tribulations. They'll never stop. And Tony will be the first person to tell you that. That's for darn sure. That is true. It's so important to be in a mindset where you love the journey, love the grind, love all the boring parts. So much of this is habit building, you know, whether it's habits around how to think, how to respond, but like just even like routines, right? It's just compounds over time. And because we believe in an infinite game at our company and me, myself and my family, like this is, you know, things go on forever and we're just sort of in the, there's no single milestone that any of us are going to reach you or me that are going to be like, ah, oh, we won this game. That's what we're going for. Like, it's not, life doesn't work. It's like never, that. it's never enough. No, right. No. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you bring up compounding, right? In the world of finances, they have compounded interest. Mm -hmm. Well, an old friend of mine used a word called compounded impact. Mm. And here's, here's the story around that. She was in, uh, she was working in hedge funds for a long time until one day she, quit her job and a couple things happened. They made some bad investments. They started running out of money and her daughter stepped in to help. She said, mom, I think you should come over here to Dubai and see me and meet my family and spend a little bit of time thinking about what you're going to do next. And she gets over there and she says, what do I do all day? The daughter handed her a pamphlet. It was a manila folder with all these flyers to come see this woman speak about hedge funds. And she looked at her daughter and said, I don't know what to say. Uh, what am I going to do here? She said, well, I already sold 350 tickets, so you better figure it out. It's in two weeks. The woman takes the stage. She talks about everything you can do if you do your job right and you impact others. And it really inspired the crowd. And all these great financiers come up to her after and say, how can we work with you? She says, what do you want to do? They said, we want to make partner at, at this hedge fund. And she said, what will you do if you make partner with that money? They said, well, we're going to make the money so that we can give the money back and we can keep paying it forward. And she said, all right. They said, so how do we work with you? She said, I'll, I'll coach you one-on-one. -on -one. They said, how much does it cost? She says, $1 million. Now, these are the guys that are probably only making 750 a year as a junior you know, associate or something. And they say, wow, that's unreal. Yeah. But she says, here's what happens. Don't look at how much you have to give or spend now 
Think about how much you're going to be able to give in the future. If I help you make partner and you're going to make three to $10 million a year, you're going to have a lot more money to give over time. And she was able to charge that premium price because she wound it up around impact. Wow. And giving and being generous. And that energy is contagious. Totally. Wow. So I'm glad you mentioned the word compounding. That is so interesting. And there's so many lessons in that. Um, I think part of what uh, enchants people that work with you is when they see you in action. When I saw you in action, when we started doing those gratitude um, meetings, by the way, completely inspired by your book. I read the book and I was like, you know, we've been in business for 20 years. We've looked at all sorts of ways of how to capture the mind share of our customers, both existing and prospective customers, our own people. And everybody in enterprise software like runs a very similar set of textbooks. You know, it's like the plays are like written for 20 years. We're just recycling them. And I was like, nobody's connecting with their customers in a way where you're not even talking about business. You're not even talking about outcomes. You're not talking about technology. You're not talking about whatever is the trend of like leadership thinking of this moment. Um, I was like, we have to deploy this with customers and, and people like in market in the field. And the response was like remarkable. And I can't wait to do a bunch more this year with our install base of like thousands of customers now that mm. know us, but they don't really know us. And they certainly yeah. don't know each other. And you've been doing that for years now out there. And and, and I was very upset about the pandemic for many reasons. One of the most <laughs> initial points of disappointment was like, I was going to go to one of your dinners in person in LA. And then yeah. they had to get it was like, Mar- it was like March, it was like March 17th or something. Yes. It was when it was all crashing down. Yes. And the pandemic, you know, ripped the dinner table away from us. You know, imagine we have been traveling around the world for all these years using the dinner table as a vehicle to connect people and gratitude, which is the main star of the evening. But through the pandemic, I mean, I remember kind of shutting down, you know, that Friday, March 13th and saying, oh God, there goes my book tour. Mm-hmm. There goes all my clients. There goes everything I yeah, value about just myself in life. Yeah, I remember. What's that? Yeah. So the book was just about to come out and it was, uh, it was a difficult time, but then, you know, it, it presented a wonderful opportunity because we were able to remove the barrier to entry. We were able to remove pasta sauce, remove the dinner table, make gratitude the star. And by the way, gratitude can scale a lot better. Hmm. So ironically, you know, it's been the biggest blessing in disguise. Yes, we miss that physical touch. I mean, I was just talking with someone, a friend of mine, Diana, who her love language is physical touch and quality time. Mm -hmm. Well, we're ripped apart from that. But what's interesting is that you get to dive deeper in other things through the virtual setting. You're able to actually reach more people with acts of service. Yeah. You're able to listen intently with greater empathy from across the world. Chris, we saw a lot of companies completely get turned upside down in their business models. 
uh, from our standpoint, because we serve so many of them, right? And they've been through the ebbs and flows or ones who are completely accelerated, ones that have to restructure. Um, it's remarkable, by the way, the resiliency of just the enterprise, you know. Oh, my gosh. There, the United States. there are like, some there are some wartime generals mm. that y'all surround yourselves with that I've gotten the privilege to see or get to know through these executive roundtables and, and the people, the, the resilience that you help instill in your customers to know that you have their back, yeah. they have each other's back, that community, that communal resilience, those enduring resources, that's what's going to last a lifetime. This is why SADA has such high loyalty and engagement amongst their clients is that you are there for people when they need it most. Yeah, look, and that's yeah. the people who win in the long run. Our business model makes it necessary. Like we have to keep these customers forever for our business to be able to fund its growth. And it's uh, it, incent it incents all the right behaviors. I think those behaviors are innate in us anyway, culturally as a company, but like the economics of the business make it necessary. That's why we love connecting with them in a way that they've probably never been connected with, like hosted by Chris Shembros. I mean, here, here's the truth. If you're watching this, this isn't just a SADA unique perspective. Here's the truth about the state of the American workforce. And we put out earlier this year something we called the 2020 Emotional State of the Workforce Report. Mm -hmm. Here's what we know. In 2020, we produced hundreds of virtual gratitude experiences serving over 7,000 attendees, all from uh, a, a corporate perspective. And what we found, so at our virtual gratitude experience, essentially someone gets an invite. Whether you're a client of a nice vendor, whether you're on the team of a nice you know, company, you get the invite. And the whole night's about that company. And so you walk through the, the Google Meets room or the Zoom room, whatever you're using, and the first thing we ask you is, bullshit aside, what's one word that describes how you honestly feel right now in the moment? Well, Tony, we ended up taking thousands of emotions mm. using the judgment system that the Olympics use to judge athletes called inner rate of reliability. We assign different numbers on a scale of one to five to different emotions. The average person walked into our experiences feeling a 2.79 out of five. Yeah. And that's actually a lot better than most people would assume, but they would come in feeling overwhelmed, disconnected, mm -hmm. nervous, anxious. When the future looks like such a great unknown, you develop a lot of insecurity. Totally. So we'd shake them through our system and do all the gratitude exercises and ask our famous gratitude question, and what we found was that when they left, they averaged a 4.52. And here's the truth. Out of over 7,000 attendees, only 17 left feeling any kind of negative emotion. Mm. And those emotions that they felt was guilt, shame, regret. How did I not thank someone sooner? Mm. How did I not thank my grandfather before he passed away? Well, that would eventually lead to a positive feeling, but we'll count the negative emotion. That's a 99.998% accuracy, Crazy. 17 people out of over 7,000. So what does it tell you? If you aren't taking care of the emotional, emotional needs of the people you serve, you're missing out in the long run. Google, 
Tony's best friend Google found in their promotion to emotion study that buyers that have a strong emotional tie to your brand are five times more likely to consider purchasing, 13 times more likely to purchase, and 30 times more likely to pay the premium. In a service-based business, even, a, even in a cloud subscription business, uh, it's not just about selling a product. Mm -hmm. It's about making them want to pay more and actually feeling good about it. Yeah. Like you're giving them something that impacts their soul. Yeah. Mother Teresa called the poverty of the soul of America one of the worst poverties on the face mm. of the planet. She wrote about that in Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money. Then. Yeah. Oh, God. That was before <laughs> social media and the <laughs> pandemic. And oh, my God, we live in an individualistic, I think, therefore, I am. Rene Descartes society, Cartesian age quote, uh, that we go before others. That's not how you find meaning, connection, and purpose. You have to put the needs of others before you. See, we dedicate our whole life to gratitude. Gratitude is the acknowledgement that you've received something of value from others, some kind of benefit. Well, now that's difficult for people to do because people think gratitude makes you weak. Ooh, you're not a self-made man. I don't want to do business with that. But what gratitude does is develops a sense of otherness. It develops humility. People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And that's what makes you a good servant leader. Mm -hmm. Even if someone's buying from you, it's up to you to lead with integrity. Yeah. And gratitude helps you inspire further action in that pro-social relationship. That's why even before we got on the topic, Tony talked about a lot of the things, the cool things that we're able to do, which one of them is you know, I have a column at Rolling Stone magazine. Who would have ever thought some <laughs> freaking kid from wherever would have a column at Rolling Stone magazine? But the the article that we just submitted today is called Fuck Your Gratitude Journal. <laughs> Why? Why? It's a very is that? Rolling Stone we're, title, by the way. I love yeah, it. <laughs> we're not we're not up against gratitude journals. We're up against anybody who thinks that just doing a gratitude journal is enough for their daily gratitude practice. No, gratitude must be done in community because we are more lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected and insecure, isolated than we've ever been in the history of our world. That is a fact. And you know, now that the vaccine's out there and people are starting to think about what coming back to a non-isolated uh, world will look like. I'd really love to have your perspective on this because we, we're, we're, you know, wrestling with this now as, as a leadership team. It's impossible to predict exact timing, but we're trying to wrap our head around what does the way forward look like? Mm -hmm. What does community look like? Uh, what do offices look like? What are some of the permanent changes in behavior or psychology that we'll carry with us forever, regardless of how the threat of any pandemic or any virus right impacts mm -hmm. us in the future? I'd love to get your perspective on this because we're all trying to design companies of the future right now. Yeah. This is happening right now. You know... I've always said a remote strategy is not a universal strategy. It must be individualized from company to company. So whatever I'm going to say 
is just some low-level opinion from a nobody. Don't take it mm, on. I don't know. You talk to, but I you think, talk to thousands of people, so I think <laughs> pretty well I think, uh, uh, impacted opinion. I, I think the way forward is through empathy. And here's what I mean. Studies show that one in three employees would take equal payer position at an employer that was more empathetic. You have to listen to the needs of the people you serve. It can't be a top-down leadership decision. I know that sounds difficult to say. I don't have a billion-dollar office lease on my hands. I don't have you know 900 employees just waiting for a decision. But you need to take in the 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 questions of the people you serve. And I think a hybrid model is a pretty safe bet now. Maybe a reduced office footprint. The ability for people to go in if they want, but the ability to stay home if they don't. Here's a positive and a negative of working from home. Working from home, from from a company perspective, your people are actually a lot more productive. Would you say that? I think on average that's true. I think people's ability to manage their own work-life harmony, their hours, time off, that's a new muscle that they have to train because there's not so much like this commute back home that breaks the day apart. But yeah, generally. But what we, but what we haven't seen is or studied yet is it might make people too productive. That's what I'm saying. See, studies show that in an average workday, eight hour workday pre-pandemic, an employee really, really only worked about two hours and 53 minutes. I mean, if we're being real, the coffee breaks, the walk around time, the Instagram scrolls, the lunch breaks, the filling up the water bottle, this this is a, a crazy truth. But now people are on Zoom up to 10 hours a day. Yeah. And that's not healthy for here. So I think that break in routine, people are missing. You know, I, I was talking to my buddy yesterday, Dominic Rum from Princeton, New Jersey. He's a he's a film producer. He produced uh, the Bond films. He's produced mm. most of British cinema in recent history he's produced. He's a maniacal guy. And he's saying that the creativity that he misses just being in a room with the editor, with the director, yeah. with the yeah. writer, we're missing a lot of that. So we haven't been able to study corporate innovation. But as we know, corporate innovation comes from kind of a neophyte, just with a broad domain of whatever that team's talking about, coming in with a little idea. Naveen Jain, on my buddy Cal Fussman's podcast, Naveen Jain, the great billionaire and microbiologist and all that you know, great space stuff, he says that experts aren't the ones with true innovation because an expert can only innovate about 10% more. Mm. They've already reached it. Mm. But the person that comes in with a broad domain, that third-party whether it's someone from a different team or an external mm -hmm. consultant, they come in, they look at it, and they can innovate 90%. We're missing that. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that people are missing right now is serendipity. We try to structure totally. serendipity totally. through our gratitude experiences, but people are missing those water cooler chats with the innovative idea. And so I don't have a way forward except for asking what employees want. Let's be honest. There are different regions of the country who have different uh, views on whether or not you can be with people or you have to be isolated. Right. And, and I don't want to go into politics. I'm just saying every region, there's no universal answer. Um, 
But what it is cool is saying there is a great Bloomberg article that came out the other day saying, all right, Miami, Austin, good for you. You got all the people that left California, New York, neat. Well, let Miami and Austin be the remote work capitals of the country. But you know what? New York is going to still be here because now you've got a super premium product at a discounted price, True. discounted rents. And I think the youngsters are always going to want to come move to New York City to get their start to rub elbows with who they need to rub elbows with. Look, if your love language is quality time or physical touch, you're missing that right now. Mm -hmm. And we cannot ignore the significance of not being able to show someone you love them. Whether it's the brush of an elbow, the sitting together of a seat, the physical proximity, the kiss of a friend, mm -hmm. that wreaks havoc to the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Look, in a lot of ways, I've been surprised by the resiliency of our teams, the uh, productivity levels, the coming uh, coming together in teams, between teams, our uh, metrics around just company performance. I mean, we did really, really well last year, partly due to the demand increase in, in our space, but also we had to execute at a very high level to meet the demand and in the midst of uncertainty. All those things sort of um, surprised me in, in positive ways. The other, the other benefit that I noticed is prior to uh, this new way of working, we did have like three different types of populations culturally. We had like the headquarter people. We had people that worked in other remote offices, the other eight we have uh, had, and we had people that worked from home. And it felt like, well, the headquarter people, like, oh, they're the ones who, you know, built an advantage. They know everything. They get the water cooler. They get blah, blah, blah. They forget about us, remote workers. They don't remember that we're not sitting in a office or in their time zone. So like the fact that we all have to chat the shift made us behave, communicate, carry ourselves, deploy empathy in a way that was universal. So like for the first time in the 20 year history of SADA, we were all the same. So our employee satisfaction rates, our general ENPS scores went up in the last year, partly due to like how well we handle the pandemic, our empathy and our care for people, blah, blah, blah. but like people are happier now than before. But I worry along the lines of what you're describing around like, this is just maybe crisis response, wartime response, inertia that can only carry us so far because humans at the end of the day are social creatures and the best moments of spark and creativity are the ones that you don't schedule. You know, everybody's always talking about work-life balance or Jeff Bezos talks about work-life integration. Studies show that when you have, you know, a good friend at work, you're inspired to want to come and be a part of and belong to something bigger than the word company, mm -hmm. right? Sada is not a company, it's a community. Mm -hmm. You're all fighting for the same thing. Mm -hmm. You believe in the same things that each other do. That's how you build movements. That's what Dr. Martin, 
Luther King did. Mm -hmm. He got people to rally together on August 28, 1963 to hear him speak, not because he had the answer of what he was going to do or how he was going to do it. He didn't give the I have a plan speech. He gave the I have a dream speech and they showed up because they believed in the same things he believed in. So I just want to acknowledge that that's what SADA is. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When you, when you, when you separate, when you give people, I think, people working remote, they say, oh, I'm going to make my friends in Austin and then I'm going to log on to Zoom and just work. Yeah. And that's actually creating worse work-life integration. Right, right, right. I right. think I think it's healthy to like want to be friends with people you spend eight hours a day with. Right, right. Yeah. And so that kind of, you know, that kind of connection is very important, I think. But hey, you're also it's it's crazy because I'm a guy who's our company has scaled because of because of virtual Not because but of. yes but me and and obviously you know the the whole point of the company is not to do what is best for me it's to do you know what's best for our team and the systems that we build around the team but I will say I freaking miss seeing my buddies around the dinner table. And being part of that experience. I'm not running. There's a whole thing of when you turn passion into profit, you kind of lose the impact that passion has on you. I kind of started feeling that around the dinner table, but at least at the dinner table, I was in the room where it happened. Mm -hmm. Like Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I was in the room where everybody was crying, coming out gay, talking about their mommy issues, working together to create the meal. It was some real shit, man. And now... Everybody's in the breakout groups yeah. having their, you know, their mommy issue moments. I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Yeah. And so I'm getting burnt out. Yeah. And the more burnt out I get, the less better I can lead our team. That's right. Um, you know, I, I'm here to work for them and to raise them up to do the good work. But right now it's a sacrifice to get on the Zoom every day that we have to get on the Zoom. And yeah. I don't wish that on anybody else. Hey, I, I like, I think part of the, what's kept me going is being okay with the uncertainty, you know, just ex an acceptance of the uncertainty of when and how and all of that. But, you know, it's, as the vaccine starts to work and there's a shift, I mean, yeah, we'll follow to some degree what the other awesome forward-looking companies are doing, but I also feel like we got to help create our own path that's best for us. Some flexibility is important. And hybrid is probably inevitable, but, you know, I think it has to be done exactly the right way. And I'll give you an example. Let's say we go back to the office, some office, some days a week. If you're not at the office the same days as your friends, <laughs> you're going to be like, why am I in the office? <laughs> you know, like, yep. It has to be like, look, let's all go Tuesday, Thursdays. Like that kind of stuff. It's like nuanced stuff, but it's so important because Google, when they open up partially, early days, like they open up partially, 10%. People are like going through COVID protocols to go and they're like, dude, nobody else is here. Why did I come? I don't want that either, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, every every industry is different. And obviously, you know, we're sitting here on our high horse with the flexibility and the resources where we can work remotely, but not every company is different. Think about construction, yeah. hospitality, yeah. food service. I love the healthcare 
executive roundtable we did when you had you had people you had people log on to the Google Meet mm. to the virtual gratitude experience over Google Meet. They were actually at the hospital yeah. fighting COVID in their scrubs yeah. and they logged on because they craved community. <laughs> and so what's going to happen is even when you do go back into an office, you can't rest on your laurels mm -hmm. of not investing in community. You need to invest in community even harder than you've ever had because growth through community and connection will solve the greatest epidemic our country is facing today other than the pandemic, which is the epidemic of loneliness. 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis, which is equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Seven years off your life. Bananas. It's what we're up against. That's what we're Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, let me ask you one kind of final point of view because this is really important you know technology has cloud technology hyperscale SaaS has in a lot of ways um saved major parts of the economy right like allowed us to continue to do our work scaled our businesses in ways we didn't expect but you told me somewhat at confidence at the time and i'm hoping you're comfortable enough to share some of this is like your own pivot in a business that was hyper dependent on in person as a construct was dramatic in a lot of ways and could you just take the audience through that journey because what you experience in your business is very similar to what a lot of traditional companies who thought of themselves as traditional companies yeah had to go through as well i mean I could say it with a couple of our companies. We also have a, th a theatrical production company. We, you know, I've been producing Broadway plays for years. Even when I pivoted to pasta sauce, we I still kept as a partner. You know, all our plays shut down. The Tony Award voting is March 1st through 15th, and we're actually nominated for 27 more Tony Awards. Ooh. And, but no revenue is produced by those plays. But the impact is still there. That's the interesting part. When, when we pivoted, when that company pivoted, we just produced a, a musical on TikTok a couple of weeks ago called Ratatouille the Musical. No way. And hundreds of millions of, of impressions uh, or views. Um, it raised tons of money for nonprofits. So there's great hope in that. Um, our business, you know, Thursday, March 12th was our last in-person dinner. I mean, it, it was rough, you know, at the beginning of 2020, I was so proud of every everywhere we were as a company. And we had a book coming out and Forbes had just ranked it as the number two book of the year. So I, I grabbed the book and then I grabbed my dad and we sailed off to Europe. I wanted to show Italy what she had inspired in mm -hmm. me. And we get to Italy and we're eating our way through Rome. We're going to Massimo Bottura's restaurant, Osteria Francescana, number one restaurant in the world. and the enemy is approaching up in Milano and this whole COVID thing. So we rush back. I go into quarantine. I get out of quarantine to do a dinner on March 12th with uh, Ryan Serhant from Bravo's million dollar listing. And then we close down shop March 13th. So it was the whole book tour canceled all clients in person dinner canceled 
everything that I knew that I associated with, done. But I was still addicted to serving people. And that's the thing is that I challenge everybody to do is, is not to look at the revenue you hope to make, but look at the impact you look to have. And impact can come in a form of so many different ways. And so April 19th was our first virtual experience. So about a it month. Was, it was horrible. <laughs> it was so fucking horrible because we didn't bring gratitude into it. Mm. And the next day, uh, next week, the 26th, we're off to the races. And so, you know, what, what is it meant to pivot? We've democratized access to our services. And that's something we challenge for, for all these people, especially people that are in a service-based mm -hmm, business mm -hmm. or people who have a really premium product. You know, we had such a premium product that I didn't need to travel more than 70 times a year to make a really good living in person. Yeah. But we weren't impacting as many people as we could. And so when we switched that around and we could let companies bring for the same price that it normally took them to to do 20 people they could bring 200 people yeah yeah and 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 it just scaled and so that's what i challenge is for people to remember what are you your unique passions or your your passions your unique gifts and the communities you serve and when anything goes wrong in life dive back to that simplicity i think that's what human beings were able yeah. to hopefully do is realize, God, I love baking. I love gardening. I love serving and connecting people. If you bring down all these material goods into that one thing that connects to your soul, you will survive. And here's the good news. This is not the biggest challenge the world has ever seen. We have survived far greater periods of political and social divide. We have survived far bigger plagues and pandemics and good things have happened. Look at what happened in Italy in the 1340s through 1370s with the Black Death. What happened? 200 million people died. What happened after? The Italian Renaissance. So we must be resilient enough to realize the world has gotten through tough times before and give gratitude to it. See, the grateful processing of unpleasant memories in one's past helps you process, cope, destigmatize the negative, and replace it with positive affect that gives you the self-confidence needed to get through anything. And that's the blessing in disguise. Gratitude to 2020, one of the worst years in recent human history. Thank the people that hurt you, Thank the people that canceled on you. Thank that team member who failed to meet a deadline and you will win their loyalty, creativity and innovation for many years to come. So well said. It's so funny you, you, talk, you talk in terms of renaissance because I think all of those things um, come from hitting rock bottom. So like I want to chalk 2020 to be like modern era rock bottom, both in terms Fine. of political divide, racial issues, the pandemic. And I'm really hopeful and partly because I'm an optimistic person that like that will catapult us back to new enlightenment that we haven't seen. Science, for science, years. science shows. Yes. Science shows what happened after the Spanish flu in 1918, roaring twenties. 
Okay? The, the same shit Italy was dealing with back then, misinformation campaigns, a decentralized response to a pandemic, the same stuff. They had their own Dr. Fauci. His name was Giovanni. They had the own, their own guy. Half the country listened to him, half the country didn't. And so, but they got through it. They rebuilt, and so will we. And the thing about rock bottom is, I don't wish for you all to forget about rock bottom. See, all these woo-woo, fairy-fairy, LA positivity gurus that drive Uber on the side are going around saying, let's forget about our limiting beliefs. Bullshit. Uncover those limiting beliefs, process them, get through them, but hold on to them and make them part of your story. Kurt Vonnegut proved in the 1950s and 60s, a great writer, proved that in a narrative storytelling format, the protagonist needs to be knocked down in the beginning, mm. revealing a vulnerability in order to become the hero in the end. And so keep those rock bottom moments, right. the story with you and use them as an a story of inspiration. Own them. It's not when people are riding high, footloose and fancy do you find these friends. It's when you're in the trenches and you look to your left and you look to your right and you realize I'm not alone. And the people you find down there, we almost want to like, we hope people fail. Abby Wambach encouraged us to fail. Mm -hmm. We had Abby, we were, we were honored to help produce a conference two weeks ago with a client out of Seattle, he brought in Amal Clooney, Whoopi Goldberg, Abby Wambach. It was a great three-day gratitude conference. And Abby Wambach encouraged us to fail because that's when you learn. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You start with understanding, but then you have to experience it to come out the other side smarter and wiser. That's right. And, uh, and use it as an opportunity for connection because... You're not alone. Trust me, whatever you're going through, you're not. If someone hurt you, they touched you, they helped you, they championed you, there are other people, their stories may look different, but the characters remain the same. And that gratitude is how you're able to connect a broad, diverse group of people. Look, diversity and inclusion programs are the best thing that SADA does with Court Roberts and Welcome to We and Bridget Ritchie and all those groovy oh, things. Yeah, 747 is nobody compared to them. But the greatest way to heal social and political divide, we call the gratitude sandwich. If you have to have a tough conversation with someone across the aisle from you, start off with gratitude, mirror and label, have a tough chat, end with gratitude, maybe a little side of a moist maker from Ross Geller's yeah. sandwich and friends, and call it a fucking day, dude. That's right. Do that. Well said. We'll leave it right there. Thank you so much for being my guest. Hey, unique type of episode only Chris Shambra could deliver. <laughs> I think it comes exactly at the right time where people are going through, you know, after so many, almost a complete year in this uh, uncertainty and trauma. But, you know, we got to own it and we got to use it to empower how we roar back into uh, this new decade. Uh, thank you so much for being my guest. And uh, the episode will be out soon. I'm super excited. And thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com.
Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.